Warwick, it is wonderful to be with you. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat? And you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And Cheryl is right. We are going through this series on the life of Joseph. What we're finding is that even though this episode, this saga of his life happened 4,000 years ago, in so many ways it is relevant and, uh, and absolutely personally uh, connecting to our lives that we live. So you might want to follow along on your notes, write down anything that you feel like God might be stirring in you, just ways that you can connect more deeply with, with the, the discussion. And then also know if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 39. Uh, you might want to open your Bibles to, to those uh, verses we'll be walking through. And I do want to say this, and this is one of those overarching kind of big picture truths. It's not a fill-in, but you might want to write it down. And and it's just this. It is a painful moment can become a pivotal moment. A painful moment can become a pivotal moment. Not pitiful moment, uh, but pivotal. In other words, it, we, we can use that to actually change the trajectory. And you can think about how that has played itself out maybe in your life and certainly in some of the stories that you are familiar with. For example, in the movie Braveheart, which some of you have seen, uh, the story is of William Wallace. And early in the story, Wallace, he, he takes a wife in secret because it was uh, illegal in, in that day. The English were in tyrannical rule over Scotland, and so this was a secret marriage. And then the, an English lord kills Wallace's wife as, in an effort to keep Scotland down and under the thumb of England, but it backfires. Because even though that is an incredibly painful moment, it's a pivotal moment in Wallace's life, then Wallace is set on a trajectory of using every ounce of strength he has to defy the English rule, and he ends up giving his life for that and sets Scotland on a pathway towards independence. It's the reality that a painful moment can become a pivotal moment. Or for some of you, much closer to home, the Karate Kid. <laughs> and you might remember that Daniel gets, he, he gets beaten up after a Halloween party at the school. The people who beat him up are all members of the same uh, karate school, the Cobra Kai. And, and he gets beaten up, but it's a moment in which he meets Mr. Miyagi and is set now on a pathway of learning and mastering karate. It's the reality of a painful moment that becomes a a pivotal moment. And we see this in the life of Joseph as well, and and so we're going to unpack that. But but by way of backstory, you might remember that Joseph, he was the favored son in his father's home. A lot of brothers, but the other brothers resented the fact that he was his dad's favorite. Uh, his dad actually gave him a robe, and his dad gave him a job supervising his other brothers, which obviously that was part of the tension in the home. And, 
And uh, so all that was going on. And it wasn't just the dad that favored Joseph. God began to give dreams to Joseph, dreams that seemed to indicate that his brothers and his parents would end up bowing down in reverence to him. And that only escalated that sibling rivalry that we saw, the dysfunction in that family. And it culminated in the fact that Joseph's brothers ended up attacking him, beating him, ripping his robe, uh, and selling him into slavery. So that's the backstory. That's that's the the events that happened in Joseph's life. But what we talked about last week is that even that in that reality, Joseph had chosen to hold on to hope. And because he held on to hope, there are some ways in which hope expresses itself in our lives. There are some some tangible manifestations of it in our lives, and we're going to see how hope manifested itself in Joseph's life. So let's go ahead and and jump in. Uh, Chapter 39, verse 1, it says, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Now, in that verse, there is actually a lot of tragedy. And I would just say that this episode happened almost 4,000 years ago where a human being could buy and sell and transport another human being as a commodity. It's called slavery, and it existed then, and unfortunately it continues to exist in our world today. In fact, most estimates are that there are more slaves on planet Earth today than there ever have been in history. And so this is one of those... uh, it's what we would call a signature cause at Overlake. If you're just getting acquainted with Overlake Christian Church, we, we have a few signature causes that we work toward passionately and without apology, and fighting human trafficking is one of those causes. So that, that is just a, a kind of, again, this is the setting the, the tone for where we're going. He is enslaved. He was purchased by Potiphar. Okay. Potiphar, by the way, was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So it is interesting to see how God is, even in the midst of this tragedy, orchestrating what's happening with Joseph because he is now working for a powerful man who works closely for the most powerful man in the known world at the time. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening with, with Joseph here. Then it says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, and so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless uh, Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. All right, so the only thing Potiphar had to worry about under Joseph's care was chicken or beef. Red or white, you know, mashed potatoes or the steamed veggies, or what the heck, both, right? And, and, and so Potiphar is loving Joseph in his home. Potiphar's like, man, my life is good. Thank you, Joseph. But notice Joseph in this moment, right? Joseph is the one who is 
beaten, the one who was sold into slavery, taken into exile in Egypt, and yet Joseph was the one who had decided to live in hope, which means that Joseph had decided to build his life on the conviction that God still had a plan for him. And the hope that we're talking about is not some pie-in-the-sky, vague, conceptual hope without any muscle attached to it. The hope that we're talking about is, is the kind that is solid, that's strong as steel, and it has some tangible expressions in our lives. And, and the first is you have to realize that the Lord is with hope. The Lord is with those who choose to live in hope. The Lord is with Joseph in his choice to live in hope. And, and, and this passage obviously is about how Joseph is rising in Potiphar's house, and the Lord is with Joseph as that is happening. Uh, we read that actually two or three times in that passage, that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord was blessing Joseph as he's rising in Potiphar's home. But what I want you to think about, and this is where it gets tangible for you and for, for me, what do you think Joseph was like when he showed up for work every day. In other words, do you think Joseph showed up with a frown on, hanging his head, shuffling his feet, whining about every job that he was given? Do you think that was the way that he got promoted all the way through? Do you, do you think he showed up late and looked like a slob and, and did his duties with you know, slovenly attention to zero detail? You think he just, he whined about, why does he get to clean the pool? I haven't, I'm just doing the trash. I want to clean the pool. It's his turn to do the trash. You know, like, is, is that the kind of attitude that you think Joseph had and therefore Potiphar just promoted him all the way through? Are, are you tracking with this? In other words, to live in hope means something. And every day when Joseph showed up and he did his duties and he went about the tasks that were given him, that, that he had some kind of, of a way that hope manifested itself in how he stewarded himself. And so let me just have you write these things down. These are some expressions of hope that live its, itself out in our lives. And the first is holding your head high. So Joseph, he showed up every day and his shoulders were back and his head was held high. And, and he, he lived and he served with confidence. Right? He, he had this, this self-strength as he went about his duties. Uh, and it was regardless of, of the circumstance. Regardless of that this was not where he wanted to be. It wasn't the country where he wanted to be. He didn't want to be enslaved. But yet he showed up and, and, and he held his head high. And, and the word that I have in my notes for this is, is the word self-leadership. He knew how to lead himself. He knew how to steward himself and his attitude and his emotions. And, and he knew how, how to make sure that he was bringing his best every day. Uh, number two is the word humility. And the, the humility that Joseph exhibits is a confidence not in, only in himself. It's a confidence in the Lord. A confidence in the Lord who is the source of his hope. A confidence in the Lord who still has plans for his life. So he was humble in the sense that he was ready to do whatever it is that Potiphar had, had given him to do. But he kept his head up. He held his head high as he did his, his chores, his tasks. And then the third is just simply hard work. Good old-fashioned hard work. He showed up and he brought his best. He was diligent. Regardless of the size of the task, regardless of who he was working for, and this is what you and I 
can do as well. We can show up holding our head high. We can live in humility, and we can bring hard work. And I want to tell you that these expressions of hope are always blessed by God. In other words, this, this form of God's favor found in this passage, it's almost like a universal principle. God will always bless these expressions of hope. I did a little bit of research this week. I found that there are 12 massive corporations around the world today, and you've heard of them, like Best Buy, McDonald's, whose CEOs, the, the, the men and women who are in charge of these corporations, they started at the ground level. So you got to think about this. The, the, the CEO for Harley Davidson, I read, he started 20 plus years ago operating a freight elevator for Harley Davidson. But you see, these men and, they, and these women, what they did is they showed up every day with their best. They brought their creativity. They brought their productivity. Uh, there's a book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin. And, and he talks about what does it take for, for employees to show up and to be to be really essential, that they show up and, and, and they, they serve in broader capacities than just their job description. They show up and they make everyone better around them. And that's what Joseph did. And that's what these, these men and women who are now the CEOs of these corporations, they just got promoted again and again and again because their bosses, their managers, the people in charge were always like, wow, I, I love what they're bringing. I can't believe how they're serving. I can't believe their diligence. I can't believe they always finish well. And so they just get promoted again and again and again. It's what we see in Joseph's life. It's just one of those universal principles of God's favor when we live in hope in him. And this is what it says in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. It says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. In other words, the scripture says this kind of promotion, this is to be expected if you live like this. And it's not just for men, by the way. It's for men. It's for women. It's, it's for those of us who choose to live in hope, to bring the very best we know how to bring, to have self-leadership where we're making sure that our attitude's in line, our emotions are in check. Our joy is not coming from who's giving us the instructions, who's uh, setting our job description. Our joy comes from the fact that ultimately we're serving God, and that's our source of hope. Now, notice that Joseph didn't check out. He didn't sit out. He didn't decide that he's going to have an attitude. Well, I'll start applying myself once this difficult season of my life is over. It was actually how he faced the difficult season of life that he was in. Jesus says it like this. For those of us who are, um, if, if we can be trusted with little, then God will bring the increase. Right? If we're faithful with little, then God will bring much. And Joseph prove that he was faithful with little. And the, the truth here that I want us to get is that hope positions itself to be blessable. I don't know if that's a word, but it should be. Uh, it, blessable, that, that if we live in hope, we position ourselves to be blessable. And how we position ourselves is that we joyfully do what is right. 
That's how we position ourselves to be blessable. We joyfully do what is right. Joyfully, right? Because God cares about our attitude. He cares about our emotional state. He wants us to show up ready and excited and willing to bring our best, not just kicking the rocks and shuffling our feet. Oh, I'll do it since I have to do it. Uh, you know, miserable about it the whole time. But if we joyfully do what is right, we position ourselves to be blessable. Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. You might want to underline that phrase. It's a beautiful principle of how God's blessing, how his favor works. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that Joseph is now managing a huge Egyptian estate. He's overseeing the business of livestock, making sure that they're healthy, the sales of livestock, the feeding, the moving of livestock. He's in charge of agriculture, the planting, the harvesting, the selling, and the storing. He's managing Potiphar's bank account and his portfolio, and God is blessing Joseph and blessing all that Joseph is managing. In many of the ways that God blessed Jacob in, uh, when Joseph was in his father's home, that's why his father elevated him and gave him a position of supervisor. Now we see that he's in this other setting, in Potiphar's home, and he's been elevated to being the supervisor over this huge, vast estate. But it begs the question, what is happening to Joseph right now? In a word, he's being prepared. God is preparing Joseph now for where God is going to bring Joseph. The tasks that he's doing now, the things that he's managing now, these are things that God will put him in in a much greater capacity. It's a part of his dream being filled, God's purpose being fulfilled in Joseph's life, although Joseph doesn't know this. But you need to understand that so often in Scripture, that's exactly what God does. That in one season of life, God uses it to prepare for the next season of life. King David, for example. Growing up, he, he, he's a shepherd. He has to fight a bear, but that's in preparation for the time when God will call him to fight a giant. He grows up tending flocks, but that's in preparation for the time when God will call him to tend the nation of Israel. The Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, he lives his life with passion and with excellence as a Pharisee in order to prepare him to live his life with passion and excellence as a Christ follower. So you see how God does this in different seasons. Now, the question I wanted to ask you, make this relevant for you, what is God preparing you for right now? In the situation that you're in right now with your family, in the situation you're in right now with your career or your education, so you might want to you might want to ask God this question this week and really wrestle with this. Do, do some journaling around this issue. God, what are the lessons I need to master right now in order to prepare me for the next season that you're going to call me into? So Joseph didn't realize what was, what was happening. He didn't see that God was going to take him into this other season. But because we can see the end of the story, we know. We have the blessing of hindsight. We can see what God was doing. You, right now in your life, you can't see where God is going to take you. You don't know what the next season is going to be. So ask him right now, Lord, how can I be diligent now? 
How can I master the lessons now that you need me to know so that I can be ready for the next season that you're calling me into? This is good stuff, by the way. I'm, I'm giving you the goods right now. All right, now we're going to shift uh, gears just a little bit because the story gets uh, even more interesting. Uh, it says this. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Basically, Joseph was on the cover of the very first GQ magazine. I don't know if you can read the article title. It's hot to pot if first wife. By the way, GQ, that's Gentiles quarterly at the time. So Joseph's handsome. That's funny. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. So, so Potiphar's wife's looking at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. And he was like, uh, I, I don't know what you're saying. What are you hinting at, right? What, are you flirting with me? What? No, she's not flirting. There's no read between the lines here. She says, come and sleep with me. Now, what is interesting, and it's as interesting as it is devastating, is you get the sense that she's, she doesn't view him as a human, that, that she is the person in power, the Egyptian who owns another human being, and so she just commands him. And, and just as she would command a, a, one of her slaves to bring her dinner or to, you know, build a fire in the fireplace, she's just commanding him. So you can, this is actually, this is a tragic kind of a scenario, a powerful person demanding something of somebody without power. And, and then it says, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you were his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. You see, Joseph knew that this would be a sin against God and it would be a sin against Potiphar. What's interesting is that Joseph didn't have the Bible to reference on this. He didn't have the Ten Commandments to read about this. He didn't even have the book of Genesis. He's in the book of Genesis, right? He didn't have the book of Genesis to reference. So you, you need to realize that, that Joseph had this conviction. This is a sin against God, and it's a sin against Potiphar because he knew the heart of God. Because he understood the heart of God. He understood what loyalty was. He understood how this would, be, this would be a form of betrayal. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He knew that God was favoring him. He knew that Potiphar was favoring him. He knew that if he did this, he would be spitting in the face of that favor. So here's what he chose to do if you're filling in the blanks. He chose to do what hope does. Hope chooses integrity. Hope chooses integrity. And it's a challenge for us today, integrity. It's a challenge for us to choose what is right. And you know, what's interesting about our culture today is so many people choose, they make their decisions. We all have decisions to make. So many people today make their decisions on the spectrum of what can I get away with? What can I do and not get caught doing? I'll give you a tangible expression, it has to do with driving, right? 
uh, how fast we go on the freeway, how, how we drive, you know, with hands free, or we fiddle with our phones. He, he, just a quick question, and we can be honest. We're in church. We just need to be honest. This is a confession moment. How many of you, when a police officer is driving behind you, drive just a little differently than you do when there's no policeman in sight? Anybody? Yeah, look at this. Sinners all around the room. Uh, we, we do this, right? And, and the, the, the deal is, it's like in that situation, it's, it's what can we get away with? Or what, 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 do we, what can we do if we're not going to get caught doing? What, what do we do if we're not going to be seen or spotted doing? And, and that's not integrity. I, I, we'll just tell you this. Just full disclosure here, Pastor Mike. I, I, I am always spotted. I, 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 there's nothing I can do without getting seen. And I'll just give you one expression of this. Last weekend, we had a house full of company. We had, we had guests in from out of state. They were staying with us. And so I get sent to the grocery store to, to load up. So I got a full car full of all kinds of food. It's not just dinner food. It's, you know, all snack food, uh, fruits, vegetables. I got, like, all the chips and popcorn, all that stuff. And then on my list that I was working off of was I needed to buy some adult beverages as well. A couple of guests we had, they enjoy cocktails, and so I, I was sent to buy, you know, the hard stuff. And I, I just want you to know, and, and for those of you who remember the message we did on alcohols, we talked about this, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty open that I actually really do enjoy a finely crafted ale, but, but I don't drink hard alcohol. I, I don't, and haven't for 12 years or so. And, and there's a reason for that. It's not about judgment. I don't judge uh, people who do enjoy that stuff. I just don't, and there's, there's reasons for that. So, so I don't drink it, and I don't purchase it. But I'm sent to buy it, and so I go to, uh, I didn't even know you could buy it in the grocery store. Literally, like, I thought, you know, you still had to go to some seedy liquor store down the road or whatever. Those don't even exist anymore. Uh, and so I, I, I go to the grocery store. I, I didn't know they sold them at grocery store. I go to the grocery store, and l- let me just tell you how it's set up, because I know most of you probably don't know this. Um, the, the grocery store has several um, shelves of the same product. So, so it's, you've got all these options, and, and the, at the top shelf, you've got literally like $170 for the bottle. And, and then at the bottom, same size bottle, bottom shelf, $4.99, okay? <laughs> and so I'm there, and I'm, lo- you know, and I'm looking, at, and in the middle, you know, it's all sort of in between $70, you know, $40, $15. Like, you can choose. And so I'm just sitting there trying to figure out, what do I need to get? Because I'm thinking to myself, nobody deserves $150 cocktails. Like, that's <laughs> ridiculous, you know? But on the same token, you know, that $4.99, that's like filtered gasoline or something, you know. I don't want to kill my sister-in-law. Uh, so, so I'm there trying to make, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the righteous choice. And um, I kid you not, excuse me, are you Pastor Mike? I'm like, this, this is not the toothpaste aisle. What is... Uh, I am confused. <laughs> it was like that commercial, want to get away? <laughs> I don't, this is not for, uh, yes, I am, hi, how are you? you know. The point is, you people are everywhere. 
It really has nothing to do with Joseph. Uh, Joseph, he, he had chosen to live his life in hope, and hope chooses integrity. It's not about what he can get away with. He, he just chooses integrity. He chooses the right thing. And, and Potiphar's wife doesn't choose integrity, right? She, she so clearly is not thinking with that kind of a standard at all. She finds him desirable. She just wants him, Potiphar's wife, the world's oldest cougar, the original desperate housewife, right? This is, this is who he's dealing with. And then it says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. So this wasn't a decision Joseph had to make one time. It, it wasn't one offer that he turned down and then went about his merry way. This was a decision that he made and had to keep making again and again and again. And, and you could imagine that his conviction might have actually grown uh, as he said no and he knew what the right thing was. You, you can almost imagine that the Lord actually met him in that and walked with him and helped him reinforce that as he said no again and again, day after day. After, as she kept going. And then he, it says, and he avoided her as much as possible, right? And it's a good reminder that Joseph was responsible for Joseph. That there's a way in which Joseph could have gone about his duties in a way that would sort of fan the flame, if you will. But, but what Joseph chose to do was to go about his duties in such a way that he tried to put some water on the fire. And it's a reminder that you're responsible for you. Right? Do you get as close to the temptation as you possibly can, or do you avoid that? Right? Do you walk away from it? Do you try to make sure that you are stewarding yourself well, because you are responsible for you? Next verse. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. By the way, one of the ways you could define integrity, doing the right thing when no one else is around. No one else is around. He goes in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. The next thing we see about hope, hope flees temptation, trusting that there's a better road ahead. And that's what Joseph does. Even though he leaves his cloak behind, he just, he flees. He just runs away from the house. Verse 13, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. So it's a false accusation. It's a, it's a wrongful conviction. And again, I wish that this was the only time in history where somebody with all power and privilege falsely accused somebody with no voice, somebody who in her mind, just a Hebrew slave. She couldn't get her way with him, so now she turns on him and accuses him, and now 
he's in prison, and it's all wrong, it's all unjust, and I wish that was the only time in history that ever happened. But unfortunately, that paradigm happens again and again and again. We see people with privilege, people with power, people with authority, people with a voice, and they tend to get their way, and unfortunately, the system tends to listen to them more. Their voice, their vote tends to count just a little bit more. They're able, and it's a weird thing even in the cultural, the way we work culturally. Culturally, we're actually drawn to those voices. We actually lean in. We, we almost always listen to the respectable person, the person with money, the person with power. But it's tragic, and the Lord sees, the Lord knows. That's why we pray for justice. There's a book I've read recently. It's called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, and I've actually had a chance to hear Brian speak. It's, he's an incredible man, and this is an incredible book. And I recommend it to you, but, but not without this warning. It will break your heart. As you see this paradigm unfold again and again and again in ways that quite honestly not only are heartbreaking but just ridiculous. And then you hear about, you read the prophets and they talk about God's heart for justice. And then you read a book like this and you realize, oh, I understand. This is what God wants. He wants justice. So that's what's happening here. And, and, and this injustice that happens against Joseph it brings up a truth that we have to, to cover. We have to know this. If you're filling in the blanks, it's that sometimes righteousness is rewarded with pain. And many of you, you could stand up and give a testimony right now. Sometimes you absolutely do the right thing and you absolutely act with integrity. So sometimes you're the one who is giving and you're serving and you're sacrificing and you're spending yourself on behalf of another person and that other person that you're actually giving all of this toward ends up turning around and attacking you for it. And I've been in ministry long enough. My wife and I have been in ministry for 25 years and we've seen this happen from time to time against us. People that, that we tend to say, oh, we, we see the need here, we, we, we understand, and we try to come alongside, and we try to bless, and it, and it ends up that our motives are being called into question, that, that uh, the way in which we sought to help is, is, is end up kind of just thrown at our feet. And, and that's happened, and I know several of you, I know some of your stories. I know some of the false accusations that have come against you. We've sat together, we've wept together, some of you, and, and I recognize that this does happen. But if this happens to you, you need to remember that you are in very good company. You think about the life of Jesus and you understand that the very people that Jesus came to love and to serve and to save are the ones that whipped him and beat him and spit upon him and nailed him to a cross. So if this happens to you, I hope it never does. But if it does, you just remember it happened to Jesus. Sometimes righteousness is reacted to or rewarded with pain. And, and often it is a principle like this, and I think it might be a spiritual principle, that we end up serving the Lord in great ways. We see great victory happening as we serve the Lord. And then I would say the spiritual attack comes almost immediately. It's as if the spiritual attack doesn't need to come if we're not actually serving the Lord with righteousness. But because we try to serve the Lord, because we try to make great things happen for the kingdom of God, it's right in that moment that the attack comes. 
You remember Elijah's story. Elijah has this great mountaintop experience with the Lord where it's just Elijah versus 500 prophets of Baal. And God shows up in a powerful way, and the victory is won. It's a massive spiritual victory for the nation of Israel. And the next time we see Elijah, he's hiding in a cave with suicidal tendencies. It's a spiritual attack that comes against him. Why? Because he was living righteously. He's making great things happening for the kingdom, and that's what the enemy of God does not want. My good friend Aaron Talley, one of the pastors on our team, just went down to South Africa, led a trip down to South Africa, and, and great things were happening. In so many ways, it was an historic kind of a trip with victories happening within our team members that we were taking and great victory happening in the ministry on the ground. And in the middle of that trip, he's attacked with a disease that he has never known before. Some absolute crazy, for a while they had no idea what it was. It was like lungs and it was you know, bumps all over his body and, and joint pain everywhere. And it just was like a, a, you know, a Mack truck hitting him. Why? It's because he was, he was serving God with great righteousness and faithfulness. And then the attack comes. And so in the midst of that, what do you do? Well, well my buddy Aaron has chosen to respond just like Joseph. He's chosen to respond by living in hope and by holding on to hope and, and, and by expressing a hope that God, even in the midst of this, God still has him. And that's, that's where Joseph lands. The, you know, the attack comes against Joseph. Potiphar's wife lies. Right? First, she's living in this lustful sin, and then she lies about Joseph trying to rape her, and then she knows that he's now being falsely accused and falsely imprisoned, and so it's all about just her lack of integrity here, but you know, we don't know what else happens in Potiphar's wife's life because it's not her story. And the same thing with Potiphar. We see now his life is actually coming crumbling a little bit because he had this incredible life. He had this incredible right hand, you know, managing his estates and all of his property and all of his livestock and all of his agriculture and all of his homes and all, you know, his, his yacht on the Nile. And I'm making that up. But, like, there's, there's all this stuff that, that Potiphar didn't have to concern himself with because Joseph handled it all. And now his life is diminished as well because of these lies. But it's not Potiphar's story either. You see, this is God's story that God is writing with Joseph's life. And, and one of those things is Joseph couldn't see what is happening ahead, but Joseph, Joseph lived in hope. And here is the bottom line. Hope is convinced that God still has a plan. Hope's convinced that God still has a plan. And so it's time for us to introduce this verse. It's a verse that many of you know, but it's a verse we all should be acquainted with, a verse we all might need to memorize. It's Romans 8, 28. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One of the things you need to know before we even jump into understanding this verse is that it doesn't say that all things that happen are good. So you just need to take yourself off the hook. You need to take God off the hook. This is not a statement that everything that happens is good. That's not what it, this verse is saying. Certainly not what the life of Joseph shows us. Right? No, no, things, there are things that are bad. Sometimes righteousness is rewarded with pain. That's not good. Right? But this verse says something else. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's just parse this out. We know we know. In other words, this is foundational. 
We build our lives on this conviction. It's not we think, it's not we hope, it's not, gosh, wouldn't it really be nice if it's we know, right? This is a conviction that we know. This is what we can build our faith upon. We've seen it happen in our own lives. We've seen the stories of millions and billions of other lives. This is how God does things. We know in all things. So we know in all things, not in good things, but in all things, right, that, that no matter what the circumstances that we face, no matter how much, it, it, it's not what we would want, it's not what we would wish for, it's not what we would desire to happen in our lives or maybe even our loved ones' lives, or, but in all things. So you're attacked by your brothers and, and, and your clothes are ripped off and you're thrown into a well and you're sold into slavery and then you do everything right and you're still attacked, falsely accused and thrown into prison in all things. No matter what, we know that in all things, God works. And you could just circle those words, God works. God is moving, God is present God is powerful, even if we don't see that at all, even if we have to just trust by faith that he's working behind the scenes, we know that in all things, God works. And then here's this word, for the good. In other words, the things that God is working for are good things. He's working for, for good things, good uh, results, good outcomes, good growth and development in our lives, good strength in our faith, uh, a good connection and intimacy with, between he and us. He, he's working for good, and the reason we know he's working for good is because God is good, and God is love, and we know this. We know it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's us. That's us. We love God. And we want to live with God. We want to be mindful of God. We want to be intimate with God. And then this last phase, who have been called according to his purpose. What does that say? It says he has a plan. That he still has a plan for you and for me. We've been called according to his purpose and, and we love him. And so we know that in all things, no matter what's going on, no matter what's shaking loose, no matter how the storm rages, we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And Joseph knew that God had a plan. That's why he chose to hold on to hope. That's why he had these expressions of hope in his life. You know, it's a little bit like a tapestry, and you've probably heard this analogy before. It's like a tapestry being woven. And if you look at the tapestry from the back, it's just sheer chaos. It's just threads hanging off and colors all jumbled together. And it, it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like anything purposeful. It doesn't look like anything wonderful, anything beautiful, anything good. And, and, and so often, that's how we live our lives. The events of our lives, the way our journeys happen, we, we can only see the backside of the, of the tapestry. But because of the truth of Romans 8.28, we know that there will be a day when God will turn the tapestry around. And we will be able to see that the entire time he has been weaving together a magnificent piece of art. And that's true for you and that's true for me. And, and the, the, the threads of that tapestry, it's, it's our lives being interwoven. 
and, and sewn together. And that's this beautiful thing that God is weaving with our lives. And what this means is that we can live empowered. It means that the Lord's gracious and powerful hand is superintending over our lives. He doesn't make the bad stuff happen or the hard stuff happen or the tragic stuff or the ugly stuff happen in our lives, but he can and does make powerful and meaningful things emerge from it. And I want to be really, really clear about this. You see, anybody can make good things happen out of good things. Anybody can make you know, wonderful things happen when all you've had to deal with are wonderful things. It's like that, that takes no special skill. But only Jesus can make wonderful things happen out of the most broken parts of our lives. Only Jesus can make glory happen out of absolute defeat. Only Jesus can make resurrection happen after crucifixion. See, that's why Jesus is the source of our hope. That's why all of our hope is in him, because we trust that because of Jesus and because of the work on the cross, because of his sacrifice and his resurrection and his presence in our lives, we trust that in all things, God works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because of Jesus, we trust that a painful moment can become a pivotal moment in our lives. And this is because of Jesus. And so this is where I want us to end our time together. I want us to draw close to Jesus. And I want us to affirm our, our faith in this reality. And I want us to communicate to our Lord and our Savior that we choose to be people who live in hope. We choose to be people who, who, who are saying, Lord, we want to live with the expressions of hope. We want to live under the favor of hope. We know that sometimes even our righteousness can be rewarded with pain. But regardless of all this, we trust that you still have a plan. And so why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Jesus, we do tell you that we don't know exactly what you have planned for us. That some of us might feel like Joseph just sitting in a jail cell wondering how we even got here. But you knew the story that you were writing with Joseph's life. You knew that in that jail cell, he was closer to fulfilling your dreams for him than he even dared imagine. We do not know what the next season holds. So Jesus, we choose right now to trust you. We know that you're working good out behind the scenes in our lives. We know that that good that you're working out is not only good for us, but it's good for our loved ones. It's good for our communities. It's good for our world. It's good for your kingdom. And so we just trust right now that even though we can only see the backside of that tapestry, that you are weaving a beautiful work of art with our lives. We choose right now to live in hope, Lord Jesus, and our hope is firmly grounded in you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace over our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.